Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as the February Room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Springtime serves up a smorgasbord of big bugs on our local waters here in western Montana. In recent years, hatches of salmon flies, golden stones, and green drakes have occurred in the midst of runoff on our freestone rivers. This creates a dangerous situation as anglers and guides must navigate swollen rivers to fish. I thought I'd tap into the local community of whitewater boaters for some advice on how to keep it safe out there. The owner of Zoo Town Surfers just so happens to be a fly angler as well, Jason Shredder. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. I absolutely love your last name too, Shredder. I mean, I know you have to have some fishing stories for us too. So I'd love, before we start getting into the white water, um, let's hear a fishing story. Yeah, well, first off, um, you know, we, we do mainly whitewater guided guided trips, scenic tours. And uh, anytime somebody asks me about fishing, I tell them that we would be the <laughs> absolute worst option. Too much adrenaline. I just started fishing um, a few years ago and I'm terrible at it and I'm okay with that. Um, I mean, I do have some some good stories, but I guess I'll start with it wasn't just that long ago or um, a, a confession that I was actually really scared to touch fish. So um, when I first started fishing um, with some close friends, um, getting past that fear was uh, my first challenge. And even now when I'm, that's why I like to go fishing by myself. 
because um, sometimes <laughs> when the fish start to like squirm and jump around, I, I kind of get get scared. And so um, what scares you about it real quick? They're just slimy. And um, I think it's weird. I, I grew up um, doing some like bass fishing and in the south. I grew up in Atlanta and I just remember like the bass like grabbing their their like their mouths and like opening them them up like the teeth being kind of sharp so i think i have this like childhood memory of like sharp teeth sharp fins or something so i'm i'm working past that um that's why i, I usually go fishing alone well and also i have to say i mean i grew up in i mean i grew up learning how to fly fish on a lake and it was a bunch of perch and yeah. whenever you catch a perch like i remember you know, like their, their fins are so spiny. Like they, you know, it was like, I didn't know how to like hold it. And for sure you just like get stuck in it. It, it does hurt. It does hurt a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think I even asked a silly question. I asked if I should be wearing gloves and, and I just immediately started getting uh, made fun of um, <laughs> when I started fly fishing. So um, I'm working past, I'm working past that. So. Well, if you ever go fishing with Justin, he's trying to teach me how to double haul. And sometimes I'm like, you have to grip that thing so hard. And I'm like out there with the workout. I'm like, it's just like lifting. Like, I feel like you sometimes need a glove for the rod part, you know, like when you're stripping right. and bringing it back in and going back and forth. And yeah, I'm, I'm really working hard this summer is my goal to do um, a really good double haul because I've just always struggled with that. I don't know why it's the mechanism, like the idea of bringing my hand and then stripping it down. I don't know. I'm doing better now. I'm doing much better with my that's double casting. That's good. I've seen videos of that and that's about as far as I've gotten. I think I can do it. I'm not sure, but um, I actually, I guess one story, maybe we already passed the story part here, but uh, I was able to go on a guided steelhead um, fishing trip in uh, Wrangell, Alaska with uh these guys, Rick Matney, he's down in Bozeman called the, I think their business is like the Chrome Chasers. And um, it's interesting because he was, he called my casting flogging. and Flogging? Flogging, yes. <laughs> so there was these, so, you know, we'd, we'd like, it was really sweet. We'd be on this big boat and then we'd break up in the teams of two and take these really sketchy, the sketchiest rafts like dinghies you have ever seen. It was like you know, three grown men on like a tiny little inner tube. And you take these boats to these creeks, um, these, these other islands where nobody, there's nobody, we didn't see anyone else the whole trip. And so we'd hike bushwhack up these creeks um, and looking for steelhead. And I was impressed how these guys were able to like hunt them down. And so we'd get to like spots where there'd be, you know, just like one or, or two of them. And when it's funny because you know, I guess this was like an opportunity of a lifetime. I didn't know all this um, until I got back <laughs> to Missoula and I told people how many steelhead I caught. But um, it was really funny because because my casting was considered flogging. Um, sometimes we'd like miss out on a couple fish and the guide was was so much more disappointed than I was. I mean, he would literally be on the ground, like throwing his hat, just like, I cannot believe you just screwed that up. I just, I can't believe it. And I'm like, that's not a big deal. You know, we're still <laughs> dinner tonight. Like life's good. It's raining out here. And he's just like, I, he's like, I just, I cannot believe you. I just, I cannot believe you. <laughs> it's like, I can't and look so, at you. Yeah. So anyways, um, that's that's a story for you, my my flogging. So maybe one day I'll learn how to do. Why do they call it flogging? Um, I don't know. I think it was just like 
the way I jerk around. I don't know. It's just like unorthodox, but it, <laughs> it works. It works for me occasionally. Well, so. you said you caught some steelhead. How many steelhead did you end up catching? Um, we got. I got about twenty-four that week. So wait, what? Yeah, yeah, and they were they were huge, and they actually. It was really cool because um, sometimes on the way out, if the tide came in, we'd catch some of the what we call chromies. You know, they were just silver and shiny. Um, but it was a great trip. So, oh my gosh! And the guide was upset when you missed one. I mean, I think oh, after twenty four, infuriated. <laughs> infuriated. I mean, he was he was crushed, just completely crushed. And I was okay with it. I was okay sucking and. Uh, <laughs> It, it was just, it, he was so crushed, you know, so. Well, I have to say, I don't think you, you suck if you've caught 24 steelhead. I mean, I can promise you, you do not suck if you've caught 24 steelhead. I feel like that's like the holy grail of fish. It's like, you have to be really good to catch steelhead and permit. And so I'm taking my baby steps too, you know, okay. so, um, okay. but congratulations. What a trip of a lifetime. So what yeah. was the water like out there? Was it rough? Well, plenty of sketchy Creek crossings that I would certainly put into question liability wise, but, um, we were a pretty <laughs> spry group. So, um, but no, it was like these small, smaller creeks drainages and you would just like, bushwhack all day long and like the pissing rain with you know multiple rods and all your stuff for the day and literally you're just like hunting out steelhead and but it was really exciting like when you see like find a couple in like a certain spot i mean you really just get like a couple opportunities to write you know right in front of it but and the flies themselves were really interesting. I don't know if I should be sharing this information on a yes, you should fishing podcast for the world <laughs> to hear. But um, they actually like the like the gloves that you put on for like washing a car. There's like yeah. these squiggly things. They were making like the the flies like the out of like that material. It was really strange. I'd never seen anyone take like car washing products to turn them into a uh, a bug. So. Well, I mean, obviously it worked, so they're on to something there, right? It is. If if Rick hears this podcast, I'll probably get a call from him. He'll probably be pretty upset that I told Well, you. I mean, the fact that you've just caught 24 steelhead is an adventure all in itself. And it sounds like it was kind of like a stalking, like hunting, like yes. going bushwhacking. But I couldn't imagine yes. bushwhacking with fly rods. I bet I would have I would have probably broken a couple of fly rods in that kind of experience in that situation. Yeah, well, in that situation, I didn't, I mean, I hate to say this, but being a river guide, it was my first trip I've been on where I was like the client and I was like, they break? I don't care. <laughs> I'm paying a lot of money for this trip, so whatever. So. I feel like because you know the water so well that sometimes it's probably, um, I think it's sometimes better not to know what the water situation is, like kind of being not in the know, because I'm sure with you being like, okay, yeah. um, do you sure you know what you're doing? Because I can read the water really well. Did you find that to be uh, in your favor or not in your favor on this trip? Yeah, I mean, having that awareness, I certainly am able to more see what I call like the bigger picture and like identify like certain crossings where I'm like, all right, I'm thinking more like if I slip and fall here, what, what's my plan going to be? You know, am I going to try to swim to shore? Am I just going to like get in the defensive swim position? And like, you know, where I think that's the scariest thing, like a lot of our, our guests, you know, and this is why they hire us is that 
they don't have that awareness like it's like they don't even know really what like what is at stake and what the consequences mm-hmm. are you know and and kind of leading into um talking a little bit about safety it's like this upcoming weekend you know the alberton gorge is going to be higher than i'd like to run it and the guests are like well isn't it just going to be washed out and you know they don't know the they don't see that bigger picture they more see like just kind of like what's right in front of them you know so i definitely think it's like more beneficial like when i'm fishing like i am really able to like read the water and like I, i'm not just thinking about the fishing i'm like also thinking about other scenarios of like you know what what could happen and if it did happen like what am i going to do you know and now a brief message from our sponsors here at CDUSA, we have owned nearly every brand of fly rod throughout our 30-year careers as guides and globetrotting anglers. When we discovered Composite Development's flagship fly rods, the XL2 and the ICT2, we uncovered a secret harbored by the Kiwis for four decades. Born from Japanese Torrey, CD's unique manufacturing process involves winding the graphite fibers inside the blank, negating heavy thread wraps at the end of each section creating a lighter and more durable fly rod. Check out the XLS2 and the ICT2 at your local CD USA dealer or go to cd-fishing.us and remember to go fishing. That's a good place to be. I mean, I feel with white water, it's kind of like if you use an analogy, it's kind of like an iceberg. Like you can see the top, but there's so much more going on down below. And there that's is. where all the danger is because you just don't know what's, you know, what the water is doing down below, what um, log jams. Um, Interesting thing. I used to, um, my mom always called white water rafting, um, white river. So like when I came to Montana, I was like, who's going white river rafting? And Justin looked at me one time. I mean, I was old. I mean, I was like 22 when I finally realized it's called white water rafting. So every time I talk to somebody about white water rafting, I have to really think hard not to say white river rafting. (laughs) (laughs) But so every time I'm like, okay, I hope I don't say white river rafting on this podcast. It's white water rafting. Um, But tell me about, because I mean, like you said, the Alberton Gorge, everything's blowing up and we've just had a ton of rain. Um, In your experience as um, a guide, like what are you looking for um, when it comes to water safety and getting down a water? And also as a fly angler, like waiting, you know, it's like what pockets are the best pockets to be in? Yeah, I'm actually really surprised that certain it's like there's certain things like as far as like equipment goes in fishing and then like the equipment that I have for like whitewater, you know, guiding on like the locks out they're starting to see, you're starting to see a little more crossover, but like just one thing, for example, is like all my whitewater gear, I have like a P zipper, right. On my like dry suit and my bibs where like all my fishing stuff doesn't have that. So I have to take off like all my gear and they same with, you know, I think fishing, there's certain aspects of the equipment that could be geared more towards like higher water, you know, sketchier situations where you might be want gear instead of like bibs, you might want something to help you better prepare for like a full on like swim, you know, but, um, trying to think a little bit back to your original question. I think one of the biggest things to do before, you know, you even go is just figuring out like what the conditions are like, you know, like taking the time to like see what the river levels are doing and having like a good awareness of, um, 
what those conditions are like, you know, especially like it seems like on the Bitterroot River, you know, it's like class one, but it kind of has like some class four or five consequences. You know, I feel like every year somebody has an experience out there where, you know, they come around a corner and there's like a tree down in the river. And um, it's like those situations um, you, you need to be like prepared for, even though it's like class one. So um, just like being not just aware of like what the conditions are like, but like making sure you have like the right equipment and thinking about like, especially I always say you're like looking at your overall like group ability level, you know, like who, yeah. who's going to be. you're only as strong as like your weakest link and, and not just having the right gear, but knowing how to like use that gear. Um, and I guess I'm probably getting off topic here, but there's like a fly fishing, um, I think Orbis used to put it on, like it was called like down the hatch or something. Um, it, it was like a thing at like Karis Park. Do you, do you recall oh, okay. that? Yeah. Yeah, it's ringing a bell, yes. Yeah, so, but anyways, they hired me to um, do like a safety clinic, like throw bags, talking about like proper, like how to properly fit your life jacket. Not one person came over to my booth. What? <laughs> It was like all fishing guides. Yeah. Like none of them were, had even the slightest interest in like chatting about, I think like John Herzer from Blackfoot River Outfitters was like the only guy that like came over and said hello. Um, <laughs> but like, as far as like the participants and like the general like audience, none of them seemed to be concerned at all about river safety. So. Which isn't a good thing. I think it's because they think they're fishing and if they're fishing, it's a yeah. relaxing sport. So it's not going to be dangerous or they're not going to be in a bad situation, which isn't the case. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's just a different approach. Like for instance, this Sunday we'll be on the Blackfoot river. I doubt it'll be great for fishing. I, I, I would imagine, but um, you know, like we'll be out on rivers where our clients will be in like life jackets, wetsuits, splash jackets, um, you know, our guide will be in a dry suit, you know, have like a waist throw bag with like a tether and, you know, we'll have like a kit with us where I'll like look like directly across from me and there'll be like two old crusty looking dudes from Connecticut, um, <laughs> with their shorts and t-shirts on and like a fishing guide with like no life jacket on. And I don't want to throw ever, I do see some guides that, that seems like they have like some great, awareness um thinking about a little bit more about like that big picture but yeah i just i can't imagine like what it would be like if one of those older guys like fell in and like how do you get them back in without a life jacket what are you going to grab you know their their arm and then you you could potentially hurt them you know so anyways that's that's interesting that that contrast i guess of right kind of user groups and they do feel really far apart in Missoula. Like when people are like, do you know, so-and-so and so-and-so he's a fishing guide. I'm like, I have, I don't know any, like they're just, they seem like really far apart, like the whitewater guides and the fishing guides. It is so true. And it's funny because you guys are recreating on the same water, but you guys are using it for different methods. Like yours is more for adventure adrenaline, as opposed to fishing is more for the action and getting something catching fish but um it is interesting it doesn't change the danger of the river just based on activity right Right. have you ever had a scenario where um maybe things didn't go as planned on the river while whitewater rafting yeah i mean i can give you um i'm 
happy to share this story. Um, it just happened to me actually, um, last week. Um, and it was really humbling. Um, I mean, I've been guiding for, you know, almost 20 years now. Um, I've traveled around the globe on whitewater kayaking trips and I've had plenty of like epic adventures and close calls, but to just put things into perspective last week on the Loxall river, I've ran it hundreds and hundreds of times. And I was about, I actually could see the takeout and there was like probably like a hundred yards from the takeout. And, um, I'd already like unstrapped, like I have like a watershed dry bag. They make, they like make the best dry bags. Typically when I get through the whitewater, I've gotten so comfortable out there, right? When I get through the whitewater, mm -hmm. I, I take my oar tethers off my oars so I can, you know, I'm thinking about the takeout, right? I unstrap my bag. I took my throw bag off. I have like a waist throw bag that I wear. So that way it's always on me. I'd taken that off. I'd unclipped my water bottle, my, my hydro flask. I'd like taken it off. I was ready to like take out. And I saw this rock, right? I mean, literally there was one rock in the middle of the river, like one. Like if there was, there was only one rock in the whole river and I saw it for some reason, I kind of hesitated. I like moved forward with the raft, you know, I'm like, then I pulled back. And then next thing you know, I'm wrapped. I have wrapped my boat around this rock. <sighs> Oh my like, gosh. like the boat is completely wrapped. Like our other guides are at the takeout and I, and I still, I blow my, I blow my whistle. Right. And I think they honestly thought I was like kidding around. And then all of a sudden I started blowing it again and they realized that there was something going on. And of course it's class one. It's right before the takeout. And my guests were totally fine. Everybody was okay. Yeah. Um, and, but I ended up having to send, we, we set up like downriver safety. We had three guides with throw bags on the, the roadside of the Loxall. And I sent all my passengers off except for one who was a friend of mine in a former guide. And we ended up being able to, um, you know, pull on the upstream side of the raft, which then put pressure underneath the raft and it, and it came off like this rock. But the embarrassing thing is that I, my because i'd unclipped all my stuff all my stuff had floated down the river it was just it was like i'd become like complacent you know and it was like a real wake-up call that like i mean it wasn't even in a it, it's just how powerful the river is even though yes. it's like class one and I, I wrapped a boat in class one and it was like it was like a 35 to 45 minute long scenario you know and you get all your stuff back I did, but it was embarrassing because I actually needed my throw bag and I needed like a walkie talkie out of my bag, you know, so that's just an example of how things can go downhill quickly, you know, and so the lesson I learned there is to like, you know, I always used to say like on harder whitewater kayak runs, you don't celebrate until you're at the takeout. And that was like a perfect example of I'd celebrated a little bit too early and like everything I needed was in my bag, which floated away including a walkie talkie to communicate with my team. My throw bag was downstream. Um, it was just like one of the oars had popped out. It was just like a really embarrassing situation. And so I think it really put in the perspective on keeping me more aware of the fact that things, it doesn't have to be in like crazy white water for, for things to like go wrong.
I bet you the most accidents happen when you're not because you know like when it's the higher um like if it's a class four you're like okay like you're ready you're geared up you know what I mean like you're really planning your strategy of how to get down and I bet you in the class one you do probably put your guard down you're like oh I got this I've done this so many times and that's where probably more accidents happen for every you know not just just for the experts because you're like oh I got this covered um for people who don't really understand what classes mean um like how do you categorize uh, white water from like class one to four? Like, what does that exactly mean? Yeah. So really on an international scale, it's from class one through six and class six is considered, you know, unrunnable. And in this day and age, there's a lot of folks now who are starting to run former class six rapids. Once a class six rapid is successfully ran, it's considered class five plus there is a major difference between class five minus and class five plus at that, that scale. It's actually really significantly different. Many times like a class five plus rapid is a rapid that's only been one ran like once or twice where you might get class five minus, which is like the North Fork of the Payette, you know, like it's a solid class five river, but it gets ran successfully by like, a lot of people. And at that class five level, the potential for um, death is is certainly near and present, where when you start to get down to class four, um, you know, you're talking about there's potentially holes that might be more retentive. Um, there's a possibility of like flipping, you know, a raft. There's still the possibility of losing somebody. But um, and then you kind of get down more into like class three, it would be um, considered like some rocks, some maybe like, you know, a small retentive hole, breaking waves, um, some other, you know, small potential hazards if you were to go swimming. And then, of course, down to like class two, which would be like Thibodeau Rapid on like the Blackfoot River, which probably a lot of people are familiar with, right? It's pretty straightforward. Right. If you were to swim through it, there probably wouldn't be any consequences. You might hit the rock, but there's no strainers, there's no log jams, there's no sieves, um, and you would probably be just fine at worst case, get like a bruise where like class one would be considered like the town stretch here in Missoula, right? If you fall off your tube, you just stand up in the river and get back in your tube and, and keep going, you know, where there's no, no, no breaking waves, no holes, you know, really just like flat water. So first off, you're talking about like tubing, like those little circle tubes. I can't stand those. Yeah, like, I don't understand why people like those. Like my butt gets cold. Yeah. Like my back hurts. Maybe I'm just getting older. Yeah. But I've never liked tubing. I'm like, why is this enjoyable? Like you just kind of sit there and, but you just see a lot of people, especially in Missoula, um, in the summertime when it starts getting warm, there's so many tubers and, um, you know, there's always somebody who there's always an accident, yeah. um, where people are thinking that, Oh, I have a, a inflatable device and I'm safe, but then they go through some rapids and they aren't good swimmers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've heard some stories about that too. And I think it's just always being cautious, yeah. you know, even on those 
fast ones. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things too with the inner tubers, um, I have no problems with it. Um, I personally don't enjoy it myself. I usually, I'm, I'm originally from Atlanta, so I, I usually freeze my ass off when I'm inner tubing. Um, and I'm <laughs> ADHD too. too. I just, I can't imagine like sitting on a tube and just doing nothing for two hours. I know that. But one of the things too is the, again, the preparedness. Like you do see some inner tubers that have like you know, a mesh bag with them. They have like a dry bag that might have some dry clothes. I always say dress for the takeout, um, meaning like, you know, bring some extra clothing with you. I get cold a lot of times at the end of runs. So I always pack like extra dry layers for waiting around for a shuttle. That's always a good idea. But the thing with a lot of these tubers is um, it's the awareness. And a lot of it is just simple river etiquette. You know, I see tubers out there with you know, loose beer cans and like bottled beer and like things that where if they fall, two flips over, you know, Brennan's wave and it ends up being like a yard sale of trash. And I think that's really disappointing to see. And I know that Fish, Wildlife and Parks actually is looking to hire some uh, river ambassadors to be at some of the busier access sites this summer to help, you know, talk a little bit more about river etiquette, help people with boat safety and just kind of kind of be there as a sounding board to try to create more awareness to to make it make a better experience educate people so so we can all have a little bit of a better experience out there because i think a lot of people just they just don't know what the river etiquette is they don't know that they shouldn't bring glass they don't know that they should bring some extra layers and it could start snowing in july they just don't know these things so i think that's a great idea i mean it wasn't too long ago too I mean, you're not allowed to, but remember the bridge incident in Missoula? There was yeah. some kid who was jumping off the bridge and then jumped on some tuber. Oh, gosh, that still just gives me the um, heebie-jeebies. Yeah. But it's also trying to be... I actually, now that I've ever since that story happened or that incident happened, um, every time Jess and I go under a bridge, I'm always looking to make sure there isn't some kid about to yeah. to jump off. Yeah. 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 You know, looking, looking down river. Um, Jason, I was curious if you could give a scenario. So say I am fishing, I'm wade fishing and I'm deciding I'm going to go cross the river and, um, I don't realize how strong the current is. I fall in. What would you recommend for me to do in order to avoid any potential bad endings? Well, first off, before I would do any kind of crossing, I'm going to look not only upstream, but I'm going to look downstream as well, because I already want to think about the potential of me slipping and falling. And then what am I going to do um, when I'm in the river and the current sweeping me downstream? So, and that would mean looking for potential exit routes, right? So if I'm like above Brennan's wave, the water's high, I slip and fall, right? Obviously there's, there's some hazards to think about there. There's an island, there's some bridge pillars, so just having kind of like a an exit plan, right? If you do do fall in, I think um, I know it's really hard and fishing stuff's expensive, but um, I see this a lot in, in in whitewater sports. But we've all we all spend a lot of money on equipment, and there's certain scenarios where everyone is so worried about the equipment that they forget what is really important, and that's yourself or the other bodies people in the river. Right, because the equipment's replaceable, we're not. So my recommendation would, would be to, if you have to, and you know, let go of your gear, throw your rod in, 
forget about it, you know, and think about rescuing yourself. And you might need your hands and you might need your legs. So if you have to forget about your equipment, just just do so. But thinking a little bit too about, um, I think um, in a fishing scenario, a lot of times, you know, the water's lower, it might be like a lower volume setting where the potential for like a foot entrapment could be a possibility. So thinking about the, the two different swim positions, you know, the first one that I'd probably use on a low volume river and that I have used falling in the river fishing is the defensive swim position, which is on my butt feet, feet facing downstream. And I always say, I want to see your toes and your nose. But the biggest thing to take away from both the defensive swim position and the aggressive swim position is just keeping your feet near the surface to avoid a potential foot entrapment. So that's what I'd consider if I accidentally fall, fell in the river is more thinking about rescuing myself and trying to avoid a potential foot entrapment. So, And what about the scenario if you're on a boat? you're kind of like how you had something happen to you on your class one, but say you're fishing and you're kind of, you're guiding somebody or you're on the oars and you're just kind of paying more attention to the angler than you are down river. And you find yourself kind of stuck in an embankment. Like what is the best way to try and, um, you know, first off you should try and avoid that scenario, but say you just end up, you know, unfortunately getting yourself caught in between, you know, maybe the pillars or, um, you know, a log jam? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. <laughs> you know, it really, it just depends on like the situation and right. kind of what's, what's right in front of you. You know, I mean, again, the obvious answer is know where you're going, you know, like pay attention, have good awareness and continue to look downstream and really just try to avoid those kind of situations. I mean, you see wood in the river, like go around it. You see bridge yeah. pillars, you know, go around it. But um, in a situation with like, I mean, the first thing I would do is again, I would forget about all my equipment and just figure out what I need to do to get my guest, you know, to safety. You know, maybe it's something as simple as getting them out on the, getting them out of the boat and having them crawl on like the log you know, jam that's like on the river yeah. or, um, but that, that can be a really scary situation. Um, generally speaking, you know, when you're, when you encounter, like if you're swimming in the river or you encounter like a log jam, you know, you want to try to get up and over it, right. Not underneath it where there could be that you can't see kind of like the iceberg. But I mean, honestly, um, it seems like most of the rivers around here, it's pretty rare that there's all of a sudden just like a huge freaking log, like blocking the whole river. So again, just having like the proper skills on the river that you're on and make sure that it's applicable, you know, for the class river that you're on. You know, you shouldn't be on a class three, four fishing river if you're not very good at rowing. And so I think I'm kind of like dodging a specific answer for that question for a reason. But I think one thing I'd encourage all fishing guides to do who are going to be guiding on some more difficult whitewaters, taking like a swift water rescue class, you know, and like a scenario based rescue training for like those what if scenarios. So it's not a one size fits all for all of them, right? That's why it's hard to answer that question. So true. I mean, yeah, it was probably a loaded question, but yeah, you're so right. I actually, I think not too long ago, 
there was the whitewater uh, rescue class and um, I was watching some videos and they actually had scenarios where the log jam scenario yeah. where you're going down river and you see the log jam. And it was interesting um, watching that video or watching these videos because, you know, they're doing the scenario, like you're the participant and you're going down. And I was thinking to myself, I don't even know if I'd be brave enough to pretend like there's a dangerous situation going on, but that's the reality. Like you just have to keep preparing. And, um, and it was also them trying to get over the log jam, yeah. right. Not going under and just how hard it was. Yeah. And it wasn't that big of a, um, you know, they obviously brought a log to make that scenario, but how strong it was pulling everybody with just a small branch. Like it yeah. wasn't all that much, but it just crazy how strong the river is. And I think that's the thing that's, um, you know, even with your class one situ situation is that it's still strong. Like yeah. the river still can move and pull very hard, even on a class one with, um, enough force when it's bringing, you know, momentum down yeah. below. Yeah. And again, I think that's why those classes are important because it's the same, like thinking about like sometimes with our new guides, you know, they'll be like, um, oh, you know, I'm not going to wear my dry suit today. And I'm like, all right, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put you, you wear the gear that the clients are going to wear and you jump in the river and you tell me how it feels. Um, so just again, as a river professional, um, being prepared, it's not just about, it's not about you. It's about being ready to help someone else or other guests. And even in the summertime, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, August guiding on the gorge, I got my like, you know, nice Patagonia sun, sun hoodie on. I don't wear a ton of clothing, but honestly, like we have the 15 minute rule, you know, like if you can't spend 15, 20 minutes submersed in the river, then you're you're underdressed, you know, as, as a guide. So that's a good rule of thumb. I didn't even think about that because I mean, I've obviously gone swimming on the gorge, but it's always for an increment of like five minutes, you know, I'll just like swim a little bit and then I get yeah. out into the shoreline. Yeah. And, um, it's still really cold, even in August. It really is, you know, and that's why in these classes, um, they talk a lot about that, you know, and that's why a lot of times when you see guides, they, you might get heckled a little bit, but it's like, I typically have like, a dry top on when I'm guiding typically I mean it's got to be a really hot day for me because that's what I'm always thinking about I'm like you know if I had to you know be involved in a, a river rescue situation could I be in the water for 15 20 30 minutes and um and feel good about that you know so well, and I'm curious, Jason, because I feel like whitewater is kind of like adrenaline junkie kind of because I think it's you know, very dangerous, but you're so very cautious and also, um, take it very seriously. How did you get into, uh, this white water and the owner of Zootown surfers? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> it's a good question. I first got into Zootown, um, my former business partner, um, Scott Dordery, who really founded Zootown. He owned this international kayaking school called world-class kayak Academy. And it was a traveling high school that traveled around the globe um, and, and a group of like elite um, kayakers. And so when I started paddling, um, you know, my eyes were wide open and I just I'd never done anything like it. And I just I just was so happy. And uh, I just graduated college and he was like, hey, I want to start this like recruiting program to try to recruit more students for the school. And I want to do it in Missoula. And he's like, I'm going to call it Zootown Surfers. And so um, that's really how 
it all started. And I was like a little kid in a candy shop. I'm like, oh my God, I get to, <laughs> I get to like, you know, work with like professional kayakers and people who've been in the outdoor industry and all these like professional dirt bags and, and, and get to learn how to like teach kayaking. And so um, really for many years, um, we just did youth kayaking and whitewater kayaking, but um, there's not much money to be made in whitewater kayaking. And so since then, you know, he and I have parted ways and we've become a full on like river company. You know, we still do whitewater kayaking, but um, it's, it's a really niche sport, um, which is one of the things that makes it, it cool. But that's that's how how it all really started. So, I mean, you said that you've only been fly fishing for two years. So what made you decide to finally grab a fly rod and go fishing from your adventures at, as, at Zoo Town Surfers? I think I can attribute that to my one of my other friends, Justin, really. Um, and just, I think I'm always thinking about variety as the spice of life, so to speak. Um, I, I always like that. trying new things. And I still love, you know, river surfing and whitewater kayaking, but I'm really enjoying, it's fun for me to like suck at something and be a beginner. And there's so much to learn about it. And I, uh, I'm kind of obsessed with like, becoming like I don't ever want to be like a fishing guide but I I want to be like really good at it you know and there's so much to mm -hmm. the sport but um I think it's I'm also I, I really love fly fishing but I also like to keep it really simple it seems like everybody we have so many things at our fingertips these days with like equipment yes. and fancy stuff I I try to sometimes kind of keep it stupid simple and that kind of keeps it fun for me you know like I don't really like I don't really like fly fishing in a boat I prefer to like wade fish because I'm always in a boat and I just really yeah. like grabbing my fishing rod and some basic fishing tackle and supplies and just like walking around you know I guess for me the ex it's not so much about catching the fish it's about just like being outside and finding some like time to myself you know, to think about all the other moving parts going on in my life. And so I really like, like that part of fishing for me, that style. I, I honestly can relate to that a whole lot because, um, you know, I've just, I mean, I've been fly fishing for probably five, six years, but for the past two years, I've been really trying to practice my casting and learning and it's really fun. And I didn't think, because, you know, the things that you've mastered when you're in your mid thirties, you kind of feel like, oh, I know how to do all these things and to pick up a new sport and try and get good at it is, um, it's really fun. And I, I love it. And it's interesting because we have a lot of friends who are now starting to get into fly fishing. And I just tell them in the beginning, I'm like, you know, in the beginning for me, it wasn't fun because it, the mechanisms didn't just click right away. Yeah. And I was like, you have to get out there and you have to keep practicing, um, but yeah, it's, and I like being on the boat because I can always go wade fishing, right. <laughs> which is interesting. Right. I'm like, I want to go on the boat right. on a hard boat too. Like I'm not, I don't want to go on a raft because yeah. I like to be comfortable yeah. and I like to sit there. And if I don't want to fish, I can sit back and relax. And, um, especially with the kids, it's easier to be on a harder yeah. boat on a drift boat than on the right. raft. But, right. um, well, and um, Jason, so if people are wanting to reach out to you and um, is there still availability this summer for people to um, 
to go book with Zootown yeah. Surfers? Yeah, no, we, we're not like the fishing guides. Uh, we never say no. We, uh, we run trips all day long, all summer long. Um, you don't, you know, you can book now or you can book last minute, but, um, we got a short season to make a living and we always, we always pull it off. And so, uh, there's plenty of room for our, all of our activities. There are some days that are busier than others, but, um, there's yeah, plenty of opportunities to get out on the river with us. And what's the best way for them to reach you? Is it just um, website or Instagram or what's the best way to get that book? Yeah, you know, giving going to ZootownSurfers.com is probably the best route for that. Um, we do have a really active um, social media presence and uh, we try to post some some good content on there and resources. So um, checking out Zootown Surfers on Instagram or Facebook's a, a great resource as well. So. And I don't know why, but I love seeing people's faces when they hit a big, like a big water wave, you know, like seeing people's splashes and they're, or they're about to go hit one and their faces are like, <gasps> like, I don't know why that is like the best, <laughs> best photos ever. Yeah. Like you can't leave a family trip without getting one of those photos you, of everyone's expression. You know, there's three different types of, of rafters clients that come. There's the, uh, the people that laugh and then the people that scream and then the, oh my godders. So when you're <laughs> I'm the totally I'm the oh my godders yeah. I mean I am that way all the time yep so we kind of broke them up into three different categories <laughs> I love it because I think there's a great isn't there some photographer that just sits on the rock that rock on Alberton Gorge and just takes a bunch of photos yes for is that yes Mike yes. Malamut my friend Mike he is a complete savage the fact that he sits out there all summer long and captures everyone's photos everyone's photo um, yeah you can check out those photos on Montana River Photography it's really fun and entertaining to look at all those photos, especially like during peak gorge season, just all the people coming through down there. It's, it's a lot of fun. So there are some gems in there, especially the ones where like people are kind of like unexpectedly not realizing what's going to happen. Like I think there was one where somebody lost something and, uh, but yeah, he'll be like, I found at the end of it, he's like, someone has lost this, this, and this, and this. And I think to myself, Oh, that is just, yeah, that is just, true glory like if you just need some time to just kind of you have 15 minutes of a break you just like look at your phone and start looking at all those pictures because yeah. it is so funny jason i mean i know you also have a um you're also a realtor so if maybe people are thinking i'm gonna go whitewater rafting in missoula and then i'm gonna buy a house which this market is very crazy right now yeah. is there a way that they can follow you specifically yeah they can uh reach out i'm on instagram for that as well jay shredder housing i don't post a ton of housing stuff. It's mostly family stuff, but, um, I work for a, the best a small boutique company here called Zill Estate and, uh, I really love it. And, uh, yeah, shred, I'm, I, I can shred a class five real estate transaction. So <laughs> I have to say that is the best last name, right? Shredder. <laughs> Were you like, I was born to shred. I bet you got so many cool nicknames. It's it's really embarrassing at Snowball when people are, are, are like, hey, Shredder, and I'm like falling over. Um, so um, and on the river, I feel really comfortable with the last name, but um, skiing and, and fly fishing and anything else, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, it's, yeah, it's Jason. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i'm not shredding anything it's, it's people ask me all the time if i the funniest question i get is people like did you change your last name man 
<laughs> I'm like, no, it's, it's really my last name. Oh, well, it's a great last name. And um, thank you so much for joining me today, Jason, and sharing your experience of fly fishing. And hopefully you can get over that fear of catching fish. But I can understand it. Like, I can understand the creepiness. I get nervous about releasing the hook. Like, sometimes I don't want to hurt their mouth. Marvelous so, hooks. you know, that's, that's another thing I got turned on to. Um, this is probably a whole nother podcast, but um, yeah, I fish now with only barbless hooks and uh, that's that's been really beneficial, I think, um, for me and like... Oh, me too. Yeah. I've never, I can't, I mean, that's how I used to catch those perch back in the day with, was with with it being barbed and it was just awful i mean those poor perch yeah apologies apologies perch back in the day go to the februaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests their fishing stories and favorite fly patterns we're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns and if you have one to spin shoot us an email at info at the The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.